You're listening to another episode of G.I. Joeberg, a podcast where we talk about G.I. Joe toys and movies and G.I. Joe toys and comic books and Cobra toys and animation and G.I. Joe toys and comic books and Cobra toys and comic books. My name is Steven and I'm joined by Paul, who's going to talk about G.I. Joe toys and Cobra toys and G.I. Joe animations and G.I. Joe video games and Cobra video games and who else is with us? <laughs> Robert's here, and uh, because he wasn't around in the original episode, he doesn't get the reference. So, moving on. Uh, Cujo's on the West Coast. Uh, I got comics. Did I do it right? (laughs) And for those of you out there listening in the ether, it's time to put your feet up, relax, and listen to the sound of G.I. Wait a minute! What's that on the scope? We've just detected... Yes, we have a contact! It's an enemy! Cobra Terradrome! Oh my god, they're launching the drone! It's incoming! Take cover! Get out of the way! Get out of the way! Ah! You guys are supposed to play along, like, die. Dramatically. Oh, okay. ah! No! <laughs> it's, uh. I'm. It's of Shakespearean proportions. Well done, boys. This is a G.I. Joburg special report. Because why? <laughs> because G.I. Joburg has a pterodrome! <laughs> Hold on, I've got just the thing for this moment. Give me two seconds, gentlemen. He's so excited, he, he, he can keep it in. <laughs> yeah, what the hell, Paul? G.I. Joe Berg's got a fucking pterodrome. Hip, hip, <laughs> hooray. <laughs> yep. You heard it right, ladies and gentlemen of the audience. Uh, G.I. Joburg has a pterodrome, or more specifically, Paul has a pterodrome. So I'm probably going to take the backseat on this little misadventure, and he's going to tell us all about his new, new favorite toy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I did, however, force him to go back and listen to himself way, way back in prehistory, when we recorded what was then supposed to be just a a handful of fireside chats that we'd throw up on the internet somewhere called G.I. Joburg. The year was 2011, and Paul and I sat back, and one of the most important uh, topics was also one of the first to crop up, and that was the topic of G.I. Joe Holy Grails. Okay, we call them the Holy Grails because they are, as far as I'm concerned, the... uh, Big ticket items of the G.I. Joe line, we decided to talk about them. And for G.I. Joburg, the Holy Grail big ticket items are, in other words, the big three, the USS Flag, the Cobra Pterodrome, and the Defiant Launch Complex. In the episode, I'll give you the rundown, because why? Because the quality's really bad, and Paul and I really don't know our shits, and we hadn't gotten our rhythm just yet. But it's, I suppose it's historically entertaining, maybe. Maybe if you really love us, you can go back and listen to it. But if you don't want to endure that kind of pain, basically, basically, we were talking about whether we would ever drop dollar on these playsets, uh, whether it was feasible, whether it was possible, what function they'd have in our collections, and what the likelihood of us eventually owning them were. And... I can use my instant recall to pluck a sound clip where Paul tells us that there's no ways he'd ever own a pterodrome because he wanted to build one. So hang on, Paul. Let's let's just wrap up on the pterodrome. Would you get it? Would you not get it? I'm going to not get one. I've already started actually making plans for my own Cobra HQ with some balsa wood and stuff. So I'm going to give the pterodrome a skip, which is good news for any of you guys out there looking for one, because uh, that means that you'll get one that I would have got. <laughs> <laughs> Less competition by one. By one. <laughs> well, that'll that'll be my pterodrome then. The one that was destined for you, Paul, I will gladly accept. Awesome, and I'll come over and check it out because it'll be cool if you own it. You already got a flag, but we won't go there. <laughs> well, I suppose his customizing plans have been dashed because he actually owns the real deal. 
while I admire customizers and builders of playsets immensely, they're never actually the real deal. They're impressive, they take ingenuity and skill, but you can't beat the actual toy. That's what we're here for. We're, we collect vintage toys. So, Paul, the mic is yours. Tell us a story, brother. So, just to, to reference that sound clip, that came uh, out of a, a time when I never thought I would be able to afford a, to a Cobra Pterodrome. It was like... I mean, I was, I mean, I was even struggling with the idea of getting a Rolling Thunder. Never mind a Terradrome. I mean, it was just, just astronomical. I mean, I'd also sort of, um, the idea of it getting a flag had sailed away as well, because I was like, mm, no, probably never going to happen. This coming from a guy who has a sideshow collectibles collection. Just saying. <laughs> Put that in perspective, brother. Yeah, that is true. That in itself was also a problem because, I mean, the Sideshow toys were, such, were so cool and are still very cool that I had to drop dollar on them because they're so cool now, they go for upwards of $300 each on the secondary market, um, and that's a good price. Oh, you know, it all worked out in its own way, but but now I have a Terradrome, and uh, a lot of my feelings are still intact uh, with regards to it, like... I still think it's a great uh, display piece. I still think it's a great place to put all your Cobra in. And I certainly do think that it does stand alone as being the only Cobra playset uh, in a toy line that's dominated by G.I. Joe playsets. In that regard, I am super happy that I've actually got that. You know, And it's a, it's a memorable piece. I'm a big Cobra nut. Uh, so it's great to, to have a Terradrome. Although... Now that I have it in my hands, well, okay, that's actually an, an overstatement because it's not something I can put in my lap. That toy is a lot bigger than I had originally thought it was. I mean, I had seen plenty of pictures, and my eye is fairly good at working out scale based on, you know, this first, that, uh, you know, in terms of relatability. But when I pulled that, when I got that box this morning, and I pulled that Terradrome out of said box, I was like, oh, God. The space I put aside for it is not big enough. <laughs> it is a big toy, guys. And that is kind of what makes it cooler than sort of imagining it. It's, it's the same thing I had with, with the actual with the Defiant, to be honest. Uh, when we opened the, the Defiant and I saw it, I was like, wow, this thing's actually really big. When you had taken all the parts out and started assembling it and started putting it together the space station portion of it, I that was the part I fell in love with the most. And if you look in like Bellamo's guide, if you go into yojo.com, it's an unimpressive looking toy. But when you have it in your hands and you actually appreciate the, the true scale of it, it becomes something really special very quickly. And yes, on paper, the Defiant is a lot more interesting than Terradrome. Um, but when you have a Terradrome in front of you, and you can appreciate its scale and you can actually put in your Cobra hierarchy and you can fill it up with Cobra dudes and you can put Televipers in those red seats and you can mount the turrets. Unfortunately, I can't mount the turrets on mine yet. I'm still getting the ramparts for that. But, I mean, I have played around with that. Um, something clicks. It, it has that sort of MCC quality for me of, oh, wow, now I actually have a place to play with my G.I. Joes. Or Cobras, as it were, yeah. So... Steve actually mentioned that you could literally make a playset out of anything, a couch, cardboard boxes, tables, chairs. And that is, I, I would never stand in the way of doing that because that's what toys are for. They, they inspire imaginative thinking and creativity. But when you have a Terradrome, <laughs> it really does create a focus. You can, you can simply start playing with the Cobra and running the, the show and have nefarious plans discussed. You can have bombing runs where you're using Joe jets to go and attack the, the Terradrome. You can have sneaking missions. You can have rescue missions because of that uh, jail cell that they've got in there. At first, I was like, oh, okay, it's basically a big petrol station. But when you when you get into the guts of it, <laughs> you know, and you actually, you know, you, you open up some of those panels – the refueling side of it, yes, it's there, but it's not sort of in your face. You could actually, for example, scratch build a 1980s computer terminal, 1980s com uh, cartoon computer terminal, and pop it in there and change the whole narrative. You could you could turn that into a whole section. 
And if you allow your imagination to open up a little bit more or use that same imagination you would use on a couch, uh, for, for example, you could actually turn that playset into something much bigger. In that regard, I would liken it to the flag in a lot of ways because the flag is also exactly that. You can take small portions of the of the flag and play out whole scenarios in it. You know, on top of, obviously, like I've mentioned before, <laughs> you can have uh, display your Joe collection on that. Terradrome, sadly, isn't the best Cobra display mechanism. So you can't take the Terradrome and put every single Cobra toy that you own on it. But you could put a, a good handful in there and it looks populated and it and it's interesting. It's, it's got a very good visual interest. I'm also quite impressed with a lot of the detail. When you see pictures of it, it does kind of look like a big KFC bucket. You know, and it does seem very almost lifeless. But when you when you have it in hand or you see it in front of you, you do start to see the little details, the little rivets, the the computer terminals. First blush, one of the first things I did was while I was putting in the seats and things like that or assembling it, I got a Techno Viper in the same box. And I put the Techno Viper's tools in his hands and I had him like working on a computer terminal there. And just that kind of thing is cool. It's like, oh, wow, all of a sudden my Techno Viper is way cooler than he was before. He's not just running around fixing his tanks. He's the IT guy in the Terradrome, <laughs> you know? Nice. So that's cool. Well, we're going to get into uh, your further thoughts and reviews of the Terradrome in just a little bit. But I figure it might be a cool opportunity to, to open the mic up to uh, our North American compadre. Kujo, did you have any brushings with uh, the Terradrome growing up? Because this toy, obviously for us folk, you know, it's, it's of mythical status because we never saw it around growing up. It never reached our shores. Only later, thanks to the, I think my first experience of the Terradrome was through the comic books. What were your first blushings with the with the Terradrome, Cooge? Did you have it? Did you know anyone who did? I get you. Well, I'm looking at it right now. We got one stashed in our office. You're kidding. And I... No, you know how we roll, dude. Well, then um, G.I. Joburg has had a Terradrome in secret for some time now, because, you know, you are a card-carrying, fully-fledged member. Well, we're on different Motherfucker. <laughs> so, um... um Back up Paul, or rebuts Paul, I mean, if you disagree with his appraisal of the thing. No, well, are we talking the big three yet, or are we just highlighting the Terradrome? Uh, it's Terradrome, we're leading with the Terradrome, just like we did in okay. episode three of G.I. Joburg back in 2011. <laughs> I like the Terradrome as kind of a uh, location to fight on, or, or it just works because A, your hands can fit on the roof of the Terradrome with all the figures, and... It creates that kind of circle fighting arena where you can kind of work around the base and, and two people can meet each other after a big battle. I like that. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's cool to push people off the flag, so that's a good battlefield, too. We're not talking the Defiant yet, but I echo I echo Paul. It's a, it's a great toy, and I love the box art, too. I mean, just one figure short of, you know, the Cobra uh, Final Supper, so... Yeah, I like it. I don't recall too many memories of it uh, as a kid. Maybe somebody had it, but I don't recall. Would you envision a fight that sort of starts on the grounds outside the Terradrome, then proceeds to the inner sort of guts of the thing, and then the final showdown happens on the top level? I think that's that's what I took from what you just said. I mean, it can go down a, a variety of ways. Sure. I mean, you can have people you know, drop in from the top, and, and the AVAC can kick out of there, you know, at the last second if, if things are kind of imploding. Nice. You know, I always have a, a sort of a, a, a more practical bent to try and work these things into my sort of adult understanding of, of, of G.I. Joe toys. And uh, to my mind, and this goes back to your point, Paul, about not being able to display all of your Cobra equipment with the Terradrome. In many respects, it could act as an airfield tower, directing traffic. It's basically adjacent to a runway, so it's got defense cannons, which sort of face, you know, they can cover both ends of the runway to, to sort of take shots at anyone uh, approaching your, your Cobra runway. But, you know, your, your aircraft are hangered elsewhere, and they just cruise past the tower on the way to take off. Uh, so all your equipment is being 
uh, housed and hangered around the pterodrome. It's just the kind of the nerve center that directs traffic, as it were, be it mumbers or condors or rattlers or stinger jeeps. That's where your mission control sit. Very not true. Sir, not sir. I no, I actually agree with the the nerve center approach. Uh, today I was actually thinking, okay, I got a shock, a sky shock, so I was like doing like strafing runs with the stra- uh, sky shock. And I'm like, okay, cool, the AVAC's going to keep the Sky Shock busy. And then I'm like, ah, but the Terradrome can call in a Night Raven, you know, or the Terradrome can call in uh, a Hurricane or whatever, you know what I mean? And that's cool. Like, and, I, and, and then, I, like, my, the possibilities of it started opening up even more. There is a Joburg method to it that I might want to put on it. Joburg style. Joburg style. The first thing is, I may want to go and purchase a Lazy Susan just because... It's not a very heavy playset, thankfully. I mean, it is heavy, but it's it's like not even really a kilogram when it's in your hand. I, mean, I think it's about maybe 1.2 kilograms. If that, I think that works out to like 5 million pounds or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not good with the Empire. The base of it is quite sort of smallish. So if I could put it on a Lazy Susan, it would make it a lot more accessible. One of the pros and the cons to the the Terradrome, and, I, and it's, it's both a pro and a con, if you want to play in the bottom section of the of the pterodrome, then you play in the bottom section. Like it actually almost divorces the top section of the pterodrome, which is actually very cool because it's just the design of it, the way there's like an overhang in the actual you know design of the pterodrome itself. So it allows you to you know once again focus. But then if you need to play on the top section, you completely forget about the bottom section. Same you know it's cool for the same thing, but also. The negative uh, is there in that you will ignore a huge part of the place at, at any given time because of how it's designed. You know, unlike the MCC, for example, which is sort of laid bare for you. Uh, the only other playset slash vehicle I can think of that has this problem is actually the uh, Defiant. Because, uh, and I don't want to say too much because I want to save it for our review. But uh, the Defiant is essentially three toys. And you, if you play and you focus on one side of that toy, you can't play with the space station and the launch complex at the same time very easily, if you know what I mean. So mm. it's, it's, it, you know, focusing on one divorces the other. But, so that's the one mod I would do is maybe give it a lazy Susan so I can just turn it around easily. Because, uh, you know, you want to get to all the angles of it. That's the problem with it being round now as well. If I put it up somewhere, I want to be able to quickly turn around, open this section, mess around with that a little bit, close it up, turn it around. So that's that's the Joburg method for for now. <laughs> it's like the Joburg method always uh, involves like being able to rotate your toys. <laughs> I put the flag on a skateboard. I put the Defiant on a skateboard. Paul wants to put the Terradrome on a turntable. <laughs> let's uh, let's put you on ice for a sec, Paul. Uh, I want to rope in Rob at this moment, and um, just, buddy, uh, I suppose this question will go around the microphone at some stage, but you can have first blood on it. Knowing what you know now, and hearing honest appraisals about these toys, and also having some first-hand experience, which is your favorite of the big three? Well, I think, as you say in the in the original episode, um, you have to have experienced them all in real life. I think the only person who can actually give an opinion of that is Paul. But I'd have to say, having seen at least two of them, probably the Defiant. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it's a space vehicle, and it's, it's huge. Um, but it's not as huge as the flag, so you can still kind of find a place for it. If you you could you could actually turn it into an ottoman, or at least you can find a cool big um, <laughs> you can find a big cool chair or something like a low kind of squarish chair that has like fabric knob. I don't know what those are called. Maybe like a square ottoman. I mean know. like an ottoman. <laughs> yes. Like, an ottoman. <laughs> <laughs> like a real one, but you can kind of like slide it in there, you know. So it has like a it's it could be the you know it's hangar bay where it, where it rests, you know, before launching the you know the, the spacecraft into space. Um, so that one I think, in my mind at least, is the one that is easiest to kind of store away, um, but still have easy access to. Um, but the pterodrome, from the pictures I've seen, and from Paul's glowing, uh, 
you know, exclamations. Sounds fantastic as well. I, I can't wait to see it in real life. I can't wait for you guys to see my pterodrome. It's so much bigger than you think. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a good juncture to talk about um, how this pterodrome finds its way to you. Because it's not without the help of some seriously generous folks out there. As you guys may have noticed, uh, G.I. Joburg has been getting a few unboxings and uh, a few like uh, quote-unquote care packages. And this is actually because a lot of our listeners, that's you, uh, you lovely, sexy people, you, have taken it upon yourselves to help us with our G.I. Joe collections. A few of you have contacted us and sort of arranged deals and things with us, um, you know, to get vehicles, to get Joes, to get accessories, to get replacement parts, which has been super appreciated. But one gentleman in particular, a guy by the name of Greg Crockett, uh, contacted me directly after hearing my Operation Terradrome mission on one of our earlier episodes where I sort of discussed getting a pterodrome in parts, buying all the parts separately and, you know, over time, making it like a year or two year project. And uh, he happened to have a spare pterodrome lying around and asked me if I'd be keen. Um, I don't want to go into the specifics of the deal, um, but he uh, offered me a fantastic deal on it, uh, which I could miraculously do. I'm normally strapped for cash, but somehow, I don't know, the planets lined up uh, in my favor and uh, the right things were said and the right uh, details were put across and he sent me a pterodrome. In fact, uh, it's a little bit more than that. He sent uh, G.I. Joburg a, uh, a care package, a massive box. Uh, it's actually about the same size as that Defiant box. Yeah, I had to do a lot of... Uh, trying to sort of get the logistics for that right because I don't know if you guys know this well I know you guys in G.I. Joburg know this but I don't know if you listeners know this but USPS, FedEx, UPS DHL uh, at all do not ship anything that size for less than $2,000 okay so wow so <laughs> I had to do some major research take some risks um, so I got hold of a mail forwarding company in the states that actually allows uh well their, their primary sort of business is you buy stuff off amazon uh us uh that doesn't ship to south africa and then you ship it to them and then they ship it to you ah it's a forwarding service but the cool thing about these guys uh, and they're called my us and i will pump them because they are actually very cool to deal with the cool thing about them is that they do not care about the dimensions of the parcel that you're sending they care about the weight and because this um, Sterling Beauty came in at a, a light 19.6 pounds or something, I don't know, I think it works out to 3 kilograms, no, I'm kidding. It was 10 kilograms in total, this box, and they had a very good rate for that shipping, so I took it. That was It was far less than $2,000. What I paid to ship it is what I normally pay for 5 GI Joes with shipping on eBay. Okay, so that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it gets shipped through FedEx, and FedEx are very reliable in South Africa. They're not ones to try and, you know, uh, win the box launching Olympics. Uh, <laughs> but my US, yeah, my US also does this uh, thing where uh, they take the box and they open it and they inspect everything inside it to make sure everything is intact. Obviously, for insurance purposes, they do offer a service where they can take photos of everything inside the box. Um, to verify, they also do a service where they will add extra packing material, which I took, and add fragile stickers, which I asked them to add. And I mean, it's a nominal fee. I think it's like 4 or $6, depending on what you need. I didn't go for the pictures because I didn't want any spoilers. I wanted this to be a surprise. I knew there would be a pterodrome in here. Um, and my plan was always to do a, a an unboxing video, which I have done, uh, which by the time you're hearing this, you would have seen it on YouTube. So I wanted my excitement to be very real on camera and I wanted it to be very authentic. I didn't want to be like, oh, wow, look at this G.I. Joe that I didn't know was coming. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Opening that box is amazing. So aside from this pterodrome, uh, G.I. Joe book got <laughs> not one, not two, not three, but four handfuls of G.I. Joes vintage and um, <clears throat> one or two vehicles, four vehicles, five vehicles. Extra. So, hey, you know. Three cheers uh, for Greg. Hip, hip, hooray. Three cheers for Greg. Hip, hip, hooray. Hip, hip, hooray. 
right now, I would love to see if there's a service in America where you can actually, you know, like how you get like a florist, how you can send flowers, you know, you can order flowers online and get them delivered to somebody. I hope I can find a service like that that does hookers and cocaine because I'd love to send Craig some hookers and cocaine right now. <laughs> because, oh my Mrs. God, this is Crow amazing. Hmm. I don't want to go into the detail of all the stuff that we got. I want to leave that for the unboxing. Well, I, I would prefer you watch the unboxing video to see that. But uh, G.I. Joburg got some very cool toys. And uh, Paul from G.I. Joburg got some very cool toys. So that was how it came to us out of the sheer kindness of another human being who uh, wanted to help us with our collection, like many of you out there have already and continue to do, which we really appreciate because if you guys live in South Africa and you're G.I. Joe fans, uh, you would understand the struggle. The struggle is real, man. Speaking about contributions, and this one was a subtle one that slipped under the radar, and uh, that is a crime because it is something that I never would have encountered or... or or, or probably picked up in my life, but was very gratefully received from Jim Godfrey, uh, our buddy from the United Kingdom, was a whole bag full, about you know, several dozens, of the Action Force comic book, the weekly comic book that was printed in the United Kingdom by Marvel UK. And what an eye-opener that was. Because... It was so immersed in Action Force being a British outfit that I, I, it's no surprise to me that our G.I. Joburg contingent that, that hail from the United Kingdom, Jim Godfrey included, uh, were, were completely swept up in the idea that G.I. Joe was not G.I. Joe, for instance, uh, and was not from the United States at all. Uh, because the illusion was complete. These issues would take stories that were originally printed in the uh, American Marvel comic and then change all the names from G.I. Joe to Action Force and any other references that might give it away. Uh, can't think of any offhand, but the most clear example is the, the term G.I. Joe was completely erased. But countering those stories were also stories that were penciled, written, scripted, produced, coloured by Marvel UK, which are using um, British place names. A lot of them take place in Europe or London, locales that are more central to the Action Force team, which is operating out of the United Kingdom. So, as I say, man, the illusion was complete. Counter that with the fact that the toys were also rebranded as Action Force, had their own boxes, their own uh, assortments, um, the file cards were, were doctored in some instances. It's incredible. It's an incredible piece of history. And Jim very gratefully uh, handed this over to us for our perusal. And expect these issues to pop up sporadically. I'm going to be referencing them whenever we talk G.I. Joe. We're going to dabble a little bit in Action Force because this stuff warrants being spoken about. An up-and-coming Transformers guru, a guy called Simon Furman, was responsible for a lot of the, those early issues. And the stories are good. There's some grit there. They, of course, mm. have one very serious failing, which is an obvious one, and that's the fact that they would always be hamstrung by what was going on in the American comics that were happening concurrently. You could never kill off a beloved character or do anything seriously, uh, I suppose, alliance-altering. You know, the structures of Cobra would remain the same until the Marvel comic had them change. You know, uh, I suppose the introduction of Serpentor would be the big one, but the Marvel UK weekly uh, comic book never got that far. I guess... An early example would be the death of Baroness, or the apparent death of Baroness, or the apparent death of Storm Shadow. All these events that happened in the Marvel US comic had ripples, obviously, in the Marvel UK comic, but the same was not true in reverse. If something was to happen in Marvel UK, it obviously wouldn't have a knock-on effect to Marvel US. 
So, tricky times, man. Tricky times, but very skillfully written around by those British artists, writers, and editors. I had the opportunity to read these uh, issues because they lived at my house while Steve was, was in Australia. One thing that stood out for me with Action Force comics was I liked the teams that they created. They created um, teams that were very different to the American sort of teams, uh, you know, like sort of mergings of, emerging of characters. You know, uh, there was a lot. There's a lot of Flint action actually in the Action Force books, which is kind of cool. Uh, which kind of I don't know. Like I I thought about it a little and I was like, I I've always been like a big Flint guy. I mean, I've only recently really started liking Duke. I think it's because somehow maybe I don't know. Maybe we somehow got those comics, or maybe there was somehow. Something that was subconscious, obviously, you know, you can't remember everything. But there must have been some idea placed in my head that Flint was better than Duke. And I think it could have been motivated by Action Force. Certainly a better action figure. You know, Flint's not a Franken-Joe. But I think it's time to uh, play a little Russian roulette again. (laughs) And swing the mic over to North America. Cujo, I assume you've had some dealings with all of the big three. Which is your personal favorite, and why? You guys want to hear some chickens going off right now? You might have to edit around this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude, keep the chickens. They're awesome. Well, sometimes chickens get scared when oranges fall out of trees. That's just a fact of life. Do you like having organic eggs? What's the deal? Nice. Um, It's not bad. It's not bad. I do eggs and bacon. You get bacon from your chickens? That's awesome. I want those chickens. No. Oh, my God. American chickens are amazing. Uh, I mean, we got Costco. Um, poop bacon. No, I, th- I think uh, I'm just going to let this chicken serenade me. He's not my animal companion, by the way. Uh, I do have my dragon in here, too. He's chilling. Um, well, I'm grateful that a big cock is not your animal companion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the memes. No, but I, I, I know we talk. Uh, whether in the future or the past, I know we talk. Uh, Action Force in '85. So, yeah, I like that. I, I still have to stick with the Terror Dome just because the mythology around it, and uh, yeah, just, just kind of what I mentioned before. It just, it makes for a great layered battle scene, and, and you can put vehicles around it, and there's no limit to that. So that's, that's me. No surprise there. Curtis, oh lover of Cobra, went with the Terradrome. Had to happen. Well, I think I'm going to show love for 85. It's the flag all the way for me, man. I suppose I have a personal affinity for the way I adapted it. But it really is an all-encompassing toy. It's got the most usefulness because while it is an aircraft carrier, it is also a mobile G.I. Joe headquarters. Uh, with a kind of a naval bent, obviously, but f- from time to time in G.I. Joe's history, they've all moved their operations to the flag. I mean, it's too vast a, an asset to ignore, and it gives G.I. Joe a global reach. So, you know, you cram it with Sky Strikers or, I don't know, G.I. Joe needed a supersonic transport jet that could park on the flag deck. Uh, that would be high up on the wants list of, like, toys to make. But uh, I've got a, a, a V-22 Osprey from Chap May, and that looks pretty handsome on the deck of a flag. Yeah, it's just cool, man. A guy like Shipwreck has a good home on the flag. You know, he's a, he's, he's a naval operator. That's his domain. That's where he really shines. And so the flag makes a lot of sense. Keel Hall, that figure's got a hell of a lot of character makes for a great figure that is sorely in need of more use. He's just the aircraft carrier guy. He sits in that chair and is very admirably forgotten about. <laughs> nice plan. <laughs> I know, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 great because it is so involving of the rest of your G.I. Joe toys. But I'd say, like, you know, 50% of the G.I. Joe arsenal can operate on that. Whether it's amphibious land vehicles or helicopters and jets. So, bam. The flag's your thing. And submersibles. Let's not forget about those. How about you, Paul? Which is your favorite of the big three? Oh, God. (laughs) 
the poll that is speaking on the podcast right now uh, is going to say the Terradrome, but it's a very shallow reason, and I think it's a great reason, because I own one. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to rub it in anybody's face here, but this is the biggest G.I. Joe toy I have, and it will most likely be the biggest G.I. Joe toy I, I ever have. And uh, I'm glad that I get to have the Terradrome in this Motley crew. I mean, like, as in, you know, from the South African side. Because, you know, Cujo's got one already. <laughs> but True. It's, it's my, it's, it's like, it's my thing. And, and to me, that, that kind of makes it really special. And it's the only Cobra playset. I mean, I suppose you could consider the cutout cardboard missile complex a playset, because it is. But, I do think about that one. Yeah, but, but the Terradrome is mine. There are many like it, but this one is mine. And mm-hmm. I love it. And I can own it. and uh, But I mean, by owning it, like I can own it. I can really have a lot of fun with the Terradrome. It's, I'm gushing. I'm sorry. I, that's why I'm at a loss for words. I'm just sort of still happy. I'm still reeling from the excitement of, of owning this damn thing. You know, that initially I just never thought I'd have. So I wrote it off just so that I could uh, protect myself from the disappointment of never owning one. If you wanted a second place, though, uh, the Defiant. Totally. I was actually on eBay the other day looking at the space station portion of it going for a very neat $200, which is a bit much, I suppose. But, oh, it's a cool it's a cool section of that uh, playset. But anyway, yeah, yeah, Terradrome. Paul's a Terradrome guy. I guess that means that G.I. Joe book loves the Terradrome. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I mean, we got two likes for the Defiant, and we got two likes for the Terradrome. So I guess GI Joe Book's trying to tell you out there that you have to own them. <laughs> Fair enough. Can't believe the flag comes in lost. Oh well, I guess it is just a table after all. Back in the day, nice you that. said that it is a massive undertaking, or something to that effect. That it's a great thing to own if you have the space, because, you know, space can be at a premium. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm going to stand to that because, let's put it this way, unless I put my parents in a nice retirement village, I don't really have any space in this house for it. <laughs> well, I do, but I don't think my dad's going to enjoy his morning coffee and breakfast next to my flag. <laughs> I'd say that the footprint of the flag is as much as two Defiance or two Terradromes, maybe even three Terradromes, just in terms of floor space, pure floor space. Oh, agreed. To have one set up and to be able to get around it. So yes, the the, the flag perhaps loses points on its sheer scale. It really commits your entire room to its, uh, its steely gaze. Yeah, its existence. I mean, i got to go move shelves now. Because the place I wanted to put the Terradrome is actually just a little bit too small. I have to actually move it to the right. Oh, boo So that the Terradrome doesn't get it. Yeah, I know, right? I, mean, I told you my story all... about how Rob, me and Elle uh, started constructing the flag on a table. And once we had kind of laid out the, the trusses and, like, realized how long this thing was, we were like, this isn't going to work. This table isn't long enough. In fact, this room isn't broad enough. We have to reshuffle it lengthwise along the length of the bed i mean it was eh, it was a real eye-opener as to exactly how gargantuan these things can be which is pretty exciting in and of itself like not ever fully comprehending the scale of something until it's slapping you in the face (laughs) that's what she said yep i don't know (laughs) Kujo's Kujo? admiring yep. his, his animal companion cock. <laughs> hey Rob, how was FanCon? FanCon was pretty good. Um, it was a good three-day weekend. Um, we had a couple of international guests here, comic book writers and, and artists. Yeah, it was a fun experience. I think I, I think I posted a whole bunch on Twitter and Facebook. On Facebook, what's the other one? Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Rob, yes. good job with that, dude. I couldn't go to FanCon. I really wanted to. I had lots of reasons to go down to Cape Town. <laughs> uh, 
um, but I actually got to enjoy FanCon vicariously through Rob uh, because I got all my news feedback and information from Rob's posts and and from one or two other sources, but they posted once or twice. Rob's uh, <laughs> coverage of the show was great. He blew up the uh, Twitter sphere and uh, social media with uh, his uh, Instagram stuff from FanCon. And uh, Rob's not going to say anything about it, but he did some of the banners and some of the promotional paraphernalia that goes on for FanCon, and it was top-notch. It looked really good. <laughs> Thank you. I wish I could have actually have done a bit more, at least in posting, but I get so embarrassed when I think about going up to someone like a cosplayer and going, hey, do you mind if I take a picture? You know, this kind of creepy, fat bearded dude going hey let me take a picture with you um it didn't help that they had all these signs posted everywhere saying cosplay <laughs> does not equal consent, consent. yeah <laughs> like whoa, i, know. I was like oh god by the end of the day the two guys leaving and i was like ah oh, i can ask a dude you know that that's it's not so creepy i think he was wearing glasses so i knew i could take him if i needed to <laughs> <laughs> And he was Morgan but, Freeman. Um, he was, yes, he was Morgan Freeman from, um, you know. Gordon. Um, it's God. Gordon Freeman. <laughs> he was Freeman. Oh, we were having a fat chuckle about that on the day. Oh, dear. But, hey, guys, it's Morgan Freeman. Movie. No, it's Gordon Freeman. <laughs> but was, he was pretty his cool. Costume he had, was like, yeah, man, like sculpted armor portions. And he had the right look, too. The glasses, the stubble. Hey, bang on. Yes, and he had the right attitude for it as well, because like when, when they ask the cosplayers up on stage, you kind of get a moment to kind of um, embody your character. And he kind of runs up on stage with his crowbar and he starts like like attack, attacking the, the announcer with it, but, like in a really funny way. Because if you play if you play in Half Life, I mean the way that that guy whacks that <laughs> crowbar around looks, looks absolutely ridiculous. Love it. Minecraft took stole that. Minecraft used that. Minecraft was like, we love Half-Life so much. That is going to be our breaking blocks dynamic is the Gordon Freeman crowbar smash. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, it was an awesome experience. I'm looking forward to next year. Don't know what guests are coming yet. But, um, yeah, if if you want to kind of find out more about FanCon, just go to the the website or find them on Twitter. They're also on Facebook. And I'm sure in the next couple of weeks they'll be posting tons of photos, not just them, but everyone who attended. Yeah. Um, and also at some point videos of all of the panels and the stage talks and the competitions, I think, as well. Um, yeah, so come on down to Cape Town and, and visit the, the the coolest comic convention. In- I have to agree with you on that. That is the coolest comic convention. And I'm going to say it here on G.I. Joe book. Probably. So if there are any South African listeners... Hear me out. I didn't even consider doing FanCon, but I will be there next year. And with any like, I might be there as a guest as well. I'll, you know, because whatever, but we'll get into that. But South Africa has a comic convention called Icon. Now, Icon is synonymous with the comic culture, comic and geek culture in, in South Africa, because for the longest time, it was the only comic convention. And convention is quite an exaggeration because... Uh, it was a, a school-sized <laughs> hall filled with all the comic shops. So, like, all 10 or 15 comic shops that existed in, in Johannesburg and surrounds collected themselves um, inside a, um, a school hall-sized uh, premises and basically just set up so- a shop and sold stuff there. Now, to Icon's credit, on occasion they have had some very interesting guests most recently, it was a fantastic author whose name I cannot think of right now. Um, but <laughs> that good. He's that good. No, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm just bad with uh, authors' names. But he, I think he does the magicians. That's the magician. This is one of his Raymond books. Raymond Feist. Thank you, Raymond Feist was one of them. Paul likes the guys who draw the pictures. Okay. Doesn't like the words. Words, stupid words. When trading cards were the hot topic, uh, a lot of TCGs, those are trading card games for the uninformed, a lot of TCGs were coming out. A notable one for Paul was a game called Rage, which was about werewolves, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, 
they had some of the mm-hmm. artists at Icon for that. And they've had the author Ian M. Banks there. So, you know, they've, they've tried to do Seriously? what they could. Oh, I like his books. Yeah. I mean, dude, this was long ago. I mean, this is like 98 or something or 97 when they did that one. Anyway, mm. really cool, but yeah, not fun. Rage is a games convention with a comic, uh, sort of a connection to it. You know, it's got like a, a, uh, I don't know what's what's a good. Uh, I don't want to say parasite because that's not fair. But lately, Rage has galvanized itself to also accommodate comics and comic geekdom, which is great. But it's not quite there yet. But FanCon, from what I had seen, looked like SDCC, a very 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 small SDCC, mind you. And when I say small, if you guys know how big SDCC is, yeah, it's small. Uh, not SDCC, FanCon, but very <laughs> professionally done. Guys like Eric Powell. Were there giving uh, panels? Ron Mars was giving uh, a panel and discussion. Some of the best South African artists were there doing panels, uh, most notably Sean Isaacs, Jason Masters, my buddy Warren. Uh, all are involved in the comic scene. Jason Masters and Sean both work for Wait, DC and Marvel. Jason Masters wasn't there. He couldn't make it. So. so Sean Isaacs was there and my buddy Warren were there, and they two very um, sort of... When I say popular South African artists, I mean, they do stuff for comic books. Uh, Warren does covers for DC, and they, they fetch quite good prices. And Sean does interiors. He does pages for uh, Marvel and DC. So it was, you know, it's cool that they got that kind of exposure. And there was a really great collection of artists. Now, my rant is going to come from this. It is free comic book day around the corner, but... Outer Limits is, is handling a big free comic book day situation. Now, Outer Limits is the guy, are the guys that do Icon. They're a big comic entity in the country, blah, blah, blah. So they're going to have Sean Isaacs there again, which is great. And then they're going to have two or three other artists. I can't think of their names, and I do apologize for that. And then they got this other dude there who, and I'm also not going to name him because it's not fair to, to name them. But, like, what the actual fuck is he doing there? Because I'm like, he hasn't. <laughs> done anything he's never been published he's never done anything professional he's only ever worked at no okay that's saying too much he hasn't published or anything he hasn't done anything professional but he's there doing art and signings it's like what the fuck for and that is the problem i have and with comic conventions in this country in general is that the wrong people have what you know it's who you know that is true but that is why i really appreciate it that's something i really appreciated from fancon it um it got some heavy hitters in and I'm sorry I missed out because I would have loved to have gone there and sat at some of those panels. I would have loved to have met Ron Mars, Eric Powell as well. On the topic of comic books, Kujo, you got anything for us, buddy? I know that's your in when it comes to G.I. Joe these days. So uh, let's talk comics. Um, I'll get there. I also I also thought uh, I thought Rob did a great job. And honestly, like anybody out there, if you got your hands on social media this job's not going away and people are only going to take it more serious because it's about community now. Steven has a fan. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what? Let's talk about Twitter for a second and I'll make sure this finds you. I, I'm not going to name names uh, cause I'm not looking at it, but somebody thought that, uh, that, uh, Steven had, had a cute beard, um, on the, on the YouTube reviews. Steven, would you like to have words with that person? It's not the adjective I'd use. Cute. Oh, okay. You call my manscraft cute? Do you have any idea how dense this motherfucker is? <laughs> Damn. It's a jungle. Do you know how many razors I go through trying to tame this shit? That's Chicken, right. You have no idea. You mess with the bear, you get the fur, baby. Enough said. So, aside from that... Nicely done, by the way. <laughs> um, Whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's talk the state of G.I. Joe Comics. It seems to be uh, a subject among G.I. Joe fans, I guess, right now. And, and I, I kind of learned this week because I, I finally did ask. Whenever people bring up uh, the new IDW series, uh, either Revolutions, or I, I believe it's called uh, The Crown Jewel now. I think Sitterson's the, the writer. Uh, the artist is yeah, yeah, Milos. Look, can we, can we um, just address that byline uh, catchphrase? What, what do you guys think about calling G.I. Joe the jewel in Hasbro's crown? Robbie? Well, I mean, like, when has it last been relevant to Hasbro, um, G.I. Joe? 
it seems that at least for the last you know couple of whatever decades, um, you know they've tried twice for two different films and two different visions of what G.I. Joe is, and it didn't work out. Um, they've had a lot more success with Transformers. I mean, Transformers seems to be the, uh, I don't know the energon of the Hell the Hasbro universe. It's it's kind of stupid, you know. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of accepted it more when like Marvel were like Fantastic Four. Yeah, um, what was it like? The best comic magazine in the world. Um, well, that was Stanley's penchant for hyperbole. <laughs> but I think I think a better byline would have been um, GI Joe, the product that bought Hasbro their mansions. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was it it was GI Joe in the eighties that made Hasbro a global power when it came to toys and action figures. You know, like. They'd kind of lost well, their way in the 70s amidst the oil crisis and 12-inch figures, you know, the demise of 12-inch figures. G.I. Joe squarely surpassed Star Wars, in fact, in toy sales, thanks to G.I. Joe, man, like fucking three-and-three-quarter-inch fighting man. I was just going to say, Hasbro's byline could be, G.I. Joe paid for the Star Wars license. <laughs> because they did, they bought they they bought Kinder Toys. I have seen one or two people discussing the new uh, that new series written by Sitterson. So I did ask them on Twitter, you know, what it brought to GI Joe that they enjoyed, and I didn't get a reply from them. So I don't know if there's a little bit of tension between the two schools of fans right now, but I did happen. I think Sitterson was was posting some of his work on Twitter, so it just kind of seemed like the right moment to ask him. Uh, you know, what he brought to the, the G.I. Joe universe uh, as far as a comic goes. And he said that it was kind of like the best parts of the Sunbow series uh, with the volume turned up, kind of heavy metal style. They got lots of bright colors. They're blowing out panels, stuff like that. So I, I can get it from that angle. But he was on a podcast called Talk Explosion, I think, which is kind of an unfortunate name, but not really relevant. <laughs> Um, but the, he and the host were kind of going back and forth and you can tell the dude knows a couple big words, but he kept kind of, uh, he, he kept on stressing the point that, you know, Hama's Joe has been done and he couldn't do that. So he wanted to do a different version. So yeah, yeah it, that, that does make sense. But it kind of got me thinking that like, you know, after looking at his line work, cause he started out with that GI Joe, uh, street fighter comic first. And that kind of gave Hasbro, or I'm sorry, IDW, confidence to uh, let him have the wheel with the, uh, the next G.I. Joe series. So I, I looked at that because we have those books because we support our, our local comic book store. And I looked at it, and it's not bad. I mean, it looks good. But I think what brings people together about G.I. Joe was something that, that uh, Zek said, which I actually forgot to mention when we talked about that. He said the reason that Hama fell in love with his artwork was that he could draw guns. And that kind of brings clarity to why Hama didn't want to work with McFarlane. Because McFarlane draws people with, you know, plasma cannons and stuff. And that's kind of uh, that kind of what brings weight to G.I. Joe is people using real guns and people being conflicted about combat. So. I'm not talking to South Africa. I'm not talking to Norway or, or wherever that one cat is. If people are shooting plasma cannons and, and G.I. Joe is about, like, dirt bikes and stuff. No. So, I mean, I think that's where the divide is. The art's cool in your book, dude. And I'm, I'm not ducking you. This isn't G.I. Joeberg taking a shot. It's an invitation for a conversation. Anytime. But uh, most people, and especially at this time in our nation... We don't have a whole lot of metaphors to talk about the military and government in our society. And this is real talk because it's getting thin. There's not too many moves left in the playbook. So that's what G.I. Joe is to a lot of people. I think one of the, the interviewer on, on Talk Explosion kind of in passing said G.I. Joe was just Hama working out his, his Vietnam bullshit. Ooh, and that, what? yeah, well, hold oh, on, hold on, man. hold on, hold on. That, dude, trust me, that got me riled too. But he I used think the he word just, bullshit. No, he's he used a, a less 
he, he was trying to create some kinetic energy between the two conversational wise. Like, mm. trust me, I was hot too. But that's just it, guys. I mean, you flirted with the truth right there. They're like, that's what brings G.I. Joe together because it's real. And and people all over the world understand war. So if you're hearing it in my voice, that's where G.I. Joe is. Yeah, the art's cool. You know, I can dig your art. Uh, I'm, I'm not hating on it. It's just uh, that's kind of what I'm realizing, that, that you need snake eyes with an Uzi that looks like an Uzi because somebody across the world has seen that gun too. They're not Americans, but you can have a conversation with that person because it's real. I can, I can agree to that and I can relate to that. I've had a... I had a discussion that came from that once from a picture I'd posted of Snake Eyes with these uh, machine gun. And somebody's like, why is that ninja got a gun? You know, like, and then somebody's like, oh, that ninja's got an Uzi. It's like, why has he got an Uzi? Because I'm like, he's a ninja. He kills people. <laughs> He'll kill, kill people with a sharp spike if he has to. He just happens to like an Uzi. Kill people before they get close to you. <laughs> and, and there's another hint. People loved what they did when they treated G.I. Joe like like an adult property. Don't mm-hmm. forget that. And it's also worth noting, I encountered two uh, smaller comic book houses this week online. IDW and Dark Horse. And you know what? I mentioned something I like about a Dark Horse comic cover. Not even two Dark Horse, but one of the artists. And Dark Horse starred that tweet. And you know what? That makes me want to buy their book. Um, IDW, Citizen, kick this to your, your your fucking bosses. Social media isn't your website. It's a business card for you guys. Like, I don't mm-hmm. buy IDW books because they don't talk to their community. But I, I know that, that IDW just needs to kind of understand that it matters. It matters when you talk to your community. Dark Horse has always been very good with that. Like, uh, because they've always been small... No, I don't want to say Dark Horse is small. Dark Horse actually has some of the biggest and most popular properties in comic books. But they've always been sort of connected to their fan base and have always tried to reach out. Uh, for example, Dark Horse actually has, specifically for Dark Horse, has distributors in South Africa. You can actually get distribution rights from Dark Horse here in South Africa. You can get their books. You don't have to order them through Diamond. You can get them directly from them because... They've opened that because even though we are a very small market by comparison to Europe and America and, well, Europe and America, they are open to that. And that mentality has always pushed our course through and has always put them in in good favor with me, Uh, especially as a young uh, manga fan. You know, somebody used to buy a lot of the Japanese comic books. Uh, Dark Horse used to be the guys who used to get the stuff I love, like Ghost in the Shell. Hmm. So... Did somebody mention anime? Isn't there some fan mail or something? (laughs) Well, I suppose we can close out with some fan mail. Guys, we got a message from my buddy Chris Huff, a.k.a. The Blind Master, who just wanted to know what our thoughts are of G.I. Joe Sigma 6. And is there a way we could regard that as G.I. Joe anime? It certainly ticks some of the boxes. It does have... A very contemporary anime style, I think in the same ilk as uh, Avatar and uh, Naruto. And it was kind of its own thing. I mean, it was used in the G.I. Joe license, but was a reboot. A lot of characters took on slightly different backstories, more concise presentations. And Chris went on to talk about how Sigma-6, in many respects, was similar to the way he used to play with his G.I. Joes, because you had Cobra Commander in power armor. You had Destro with a kind of a shield that he could produce. So it gave G.I. Joe characters almost superpowers. What else? I mean, obviously Zartan was a master of disguise. That was consistent in the cartoon. Does anyone have any actual Sigma-6 knowledge to bear? Uh, we here at G.I. Joeberg are not the the all-knowing uh, G.I. Joe aficionados we know what we know but there's certain things that slipped under our radar i personally have very few stories to share on the subject of sigma six but firstly guys is sigma six a gi joe anime example i'm gonna jump in and say yes because of my background and because of my love for anime firstly um it's animated by a studio called madhouse uh who are who is the same company who animated and 
co-produced Trigun. So there's that. Um, so it is grassroots. I mean, it's it's done by an anime company, um, and it uses a lot of anime tropes in its animation. And I can watch Sigma Six when the volume is off. Okay, and I say that with respect. I do not like the performances of the voice actors. I think that they're fine, but it's very wooden. Um, there isn't a lot of flow. It's very childish. Fine, it's not a cartoon. Not quite deep. Not quite deep, but pretty. Not much. quite deep. To be fair, it's not quite deep. It has a lot of the anime styling that I enjoy. Like, I really love a lot of the redesigns of the characters for Sigma Six. I don't love them in toy form. I love them on screen. And I like them in the comic book that they did. They did like a, a comic book side saddle kind of thing that went with the show, uh, of which I own quite a few issues of, uh, just because I could get them really cheap and I used to get them by the handful in my uh, comic call order. So yes, yes, I would say it's an anime. I would say it's definitely, it's in the same vein of being an anime as Transformers Almada is an anime. Uh, in that enough. it has like, yeah. Western roots, but uh, Japanimation styling. Correct, yeah. Uh-huh. And I own a Sigma 6 Snake Eyes. It came to me by chance. I asked a friend of mine to give me a Snake Eyes from America, and he brought me back to Sigma 6 one. And, okay, fair, it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted a small Snake Eyes. But he was a cool toy, man. He was fun to play with, and it piqued my interest. And then I watched the show a little bit. And I like Baroness disguising herself as a fashion designer and things like that. I think I thought those were cool little ideas. Anyway, For a time in uh, the States, the most widest distribution of G.I. Joe toys were under the Sigma 6 banner. If you went to a Toys R Us, you could probably still pick up, like, uh, uh, I think it's Valor vs. Venom, like, three and three quarter inch figures. But, like, Sigma 6 became hot property you could get it at walmart you could get it at kmart you could get it at target it was everywhere uh whereas you'd have to really search to find three and three quarter inch gi joe toys and they were all like o-ring reproductions anyways there were the comic three packs there was the viper pit uh six viper pack stuff like that spy troops that sort of thing was still floating around the the the, the end of the new sculpt era was uh you know still somewhat present but Sigma 6 was there and in, in two scales. Obviously, the figures were big six-inch figures, but then you had the kind of the mission scale stuff with the Dragonhawk helicopter, which is very anime. The sort of twin turbines, multi-directional things, uh, and it's looking very bird of prey. I was thrilled when our buddy from the UK, Jim Godfrey, almost before our very eyes, discovered that vehicle and, and reasoned that he could probably whip up a cool custom using it and then updating it basically so that it could accommodate modern era action figures. I'm still curious to find out how that story ended. So, Jim, let us know, man. Did you get your hands on a Dragonhawk or is that still in the pipeline? I hope it happens, man. I hope uh, you can use your considerable talents on that chassis because underneath it all, that is a pretty cool vehicle waiting to be scaled up appropriately. I nearly got one of those for 200 bucks before Take A Lot stopped uh, importing. Ah. And then I didn't bring it. I, I opted to get some G.I. Joe 5 packs and whatever else is from there. And the reason I didn't get the, the Dragon Hawk uh, was actually, uh, and, and it, was, it came as uh, your recommendation from the side of, you had said that it was designed for a smaller scale figure. I had the idea to customize it, but the impression I got was it was actually too small. So mm. then I opted not to. It's big, but it would be a chore, uh, and so, I mean, it's a challenge, but, you know, if you've got better things to devote your money towards, I mean, if one fell in my lap, sure, I'd hand it off to you and say, Dremel that bad boy out, <laughs> put a cool seat in there, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. There are way too many cool <laughs> G.I. Joe toys, de facto G.I. Joe toys out there to, 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 to go hunting for such an oddity. Anyway, in answer to your question, Chris, about whether Sigma-6 can be defined as legit G.I. Joe anime, I think I, I, I think I agree with you, Paul. It, it, it does fit the bill. And yeah, we probably should have mentioned it in our episode 84 when we dealt with Ghost in the Shell and G.I. Joe as a potential anime medium. Bang on, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for following up on us. I'm going to have to sit on that one, dude. 
I'll have to look at him. Does he have any online presence? That one guy that sent the teradrome? Greg is on our Facebook page. So a big shout out to Greg for again for the, the teradrome. It is amazeballs. Super happy. And thank you for the extra love that you put in the box. You know, the, the plastic uh, G.I. Joe-shaped love that you sent us. It is really appreciated by everybody here in G.I. Joburg. The Cape Town chapter of G.I. Joburg will be receiving their share of stuff soon. So I'm sure you're going to hear some praise from them. Uh, for our listeners, uh, if you are looking for really awesome G.I. Joe, Joe stuff, uh, whether you're in the States, Europe, Asia, or South Africa or even greater Africa, uh, please go and check out the Yojo G.I. Joe outlet and museum. Um, and also check out Greg Crockett. He is actually on our G.I. Joe book group. Uh, if you have to put up, a, put up a post there going, hey, I'm looking for this. Uh, a lot of guys are going to come out and help you out. Greg will probably be one of them that's going to offer assistance. The Yojo Museum and Outlet Center actually does restorations of G.I. Joe vehicles as well. So if you have something lying around and you want to make it look crisp and clean again, fire off uh, the question on Facebook and one of those guys will probably pick up on it and try to help you out best they can. Or even better, send you a minty fresh sample. The guys have an extensive collection and access to a wide variety of G.I. Joe stuff. So there's that. Greg is obviously not alone. There are other great guys. Um, Dan Szymanski. Uh, you need a special men- mention as well. We recently had a, uh, had a care package of yours unboxed in front of a camera. Um, and you are from Quality Joe's. Also a great eBay store if you guys are looking for stuff. Very cool guy to deal with. There are many more allies of G.I. Joe books, so please feel free to contact them. And for me, to run, I say my Defiant is just about ship shape. I'm going to put in a little bit of reinforcement on the gantry door this weekend, but uh, she is 100% functional again, uh, thanks to the miracle of superglue. So look forward to a review. We'll get around to it eventually. It's going to be a bear to shoot because I want to do something special, but uh, we are going to go full steam ahead for that. And to Dan, this entire week, buddy, I've been blowing up Cobra Varmints in their Stinger Jeeps using my Silver Mirage motorcycle with Lady J behind the handlebars and Loverboy Flint in the sidecar. Or was it Dusty? Hmm. We'll leave that to your imagination. So this is Steve signing off from G.I. Joburg. This is Paul uh, wanting to go and play with my Terradrome. Robert saying goodnight and have an awesome time playing with cool toys. Cujo, enjoy your evening, gentlemen and ladies. 